Well, we're looking at some things in the Word of God to help us to come to a place of completion. We've been looking at joy. And I, you've often heard it said there are two kinds of people. There are people who, who see the glass half full. There are people who see the glass half empty. Well, there's also a third type. There's the people who see the glass is not filled with bottled water. <laughs> it seems that no matter where we are and what we're doing, we can find some reason to complain about it and to be not satisfied with what we have. We have this, we want something different. But God wants us to feel the joy that He has put before us. The Word of God told us in Nehemiah, we looked at last week, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. No, not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Too often the enemy is pulling us into places of sorrow. He's pulling us into places where our joy is being drained. And if he does that, he knows we have no strength. If we have no strength, not only do we give in to uh, things like we, we often think about sickness and disease and temptation and stuff, but we give away the things that he has given us. Access to the Holy Spirit. Walking in love. Uh, uh, picking up unforgiveness instead of walking in forgiveness. We can fall into all these kind of things. They just sap your joy. They take it right away. It begins, once you start losing your joy, you begin to lose your relationships that are around you. You begin to lose your relationship with your Father God. Enjoyment of life goes away. We need to make sure we preserve the joy that we have. So we want to take a look at, we looked at, we spent two weeks on this looking at the doctrine, reversed in the New Testament, second in the Old Testament, of some of the things surrounding joy, what the Bible has taught us about joy. This week we're going to take a look at some examples from the book of Acts of people, in particular Paul and the people that were around him, how they operated in the things they did in life and maintained their joy. Because that's what we have to do. We have to maintain the joy that we have. You know, it's, think of it this way. If you've been on a diet and you wanted to get down to a goal weight and you had a goal weight and we'll just throw out a weight, say that your goal weight was 175 pounds. That's your goal weight. You get on, you'll get on down to 175 and then which, what's your goal then? How do I maintain it? How do I stay there? Sometimes we've gotten down to a goal. We've, we've gotten to a place, you know, we, we, uh, every, every spring, Alyssa puts us on those uh, 100-day challenge, and we get a goal, and we begin to pursue 100 days of this, and we get to that where it's part of our life, but then what we have to do? We've got to maintain it. We've got to keep it going. Just because I got it started doesn't mean it's going to keep on happening. I've got to maintain what it is that I have going on in my life. When God fills us with joy, He wants us to maintain it. The devil doesn't. Because if he can pull that joy out of us, he pulls the strength that we have. If he has your strength, he's got us. What were they trying to do with Samson all the time? What is the secret to your strength? Because they could not stop him as long as he had this great strength. Because no matter what the enemy came up with, his strength was greater. They tried to lock him in a city with a huge gate. And still the anointing came upon him and his strength was greater. The strength of God that he's put on the inside of you is greater than the strength the enemy has against you. So this is what we've got to do. We've got to maintain that joy. How do I bring that joy into my life? That's what we looked at the first couple of weeks here. Now, how do I maintain it in the situations I face in life? How do I maintain it with what I'm facing at work? How do I maintain it with what I'm facing at home? How do I maintain it with what I face in my neighborhood or with the friends that I have? or with whatever situation we have going on, how do I maintain the joy of the Lord in these things? So with that, we're going to first off go over to Acts chapter 13, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So he, can you imagine coming into church, Paul comes into church, and he preaches, and the people are so excited about it, they beg, please, please come back next week. He's a guest speaker. He's not there all the time. But he's in the city and said, please, please come back next week. We really want to hear you again. There's a Sabbath coming up, but it's a week away. Can you please come back on this Sabbath? Begged him. Would you not think that would be great? People are begging you to come on in. So they, they agreed. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, look at who comes here. When the congregation had broken up, so they begged him to stay. They all broke up. They went their way. Many of the Jews and devout proselytes, that's people who crossed over from being Gentile to being Jew, many of the 
the, the Jews, many of the devout proselytes, uh, came up to, they followed Paul and Barnabas. They were speaking to them. And, they, and Paul and Barnabas, they were persuading them to continue in the grace of God. So these folks, the Jews, the prominent proselytes, they had no problem with what Paul taught. In fact, they were part of the group. They were begging him to come back. Would you not say that what was taught helped bring them joy because joy comes from the Word of God on the in, inside of us? Would you not believe that, that that brought them joy? And thereby strength, of course. Now, take a look at the next verse. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy. Skip the verse in there, didn't I? Now, now when the congregation, yeah, we sure did. Sorry about that. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuading them to continue in the grace of God. Uh, pull up verse 44 for me. I don't have it on mine. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. So imagine this. Just put us in this, in this place. Imagine that we bring in a guest speaker. Marty Blackwater is coming to town. And he comes in here and he preaches on a, on a Sunday and the whole place is full. And he, he preached on that Sunday and signs and wonders happened and people got excited and they said, Marty, would you please come back next week? And, and Marty agreed to hang out for the whole week and to come back on the next, next Sunday. And so everybody went out and they spread the word of what happened. It was so awesome at church on Sunday. And so what happens was that lots of people came on out. They filled up the entire synagogue. In fact, it says the whole city came out. Now, if the whole city came out to the synagogue in that city, how full is the synagogue? (laughs) I mean, if the synagogue is in the city, if the whole city comes out to the synagogue, this is quite an event. I'm sure that the whole synagogue... This is, we're not in Jewish territory. We're in Gentile territory. But all the city, which would prominently be Greeks, Gentiles, people from other places, all these folks came out with the Jews that were in there. So the Jews have this little synagogue and they come and they they worship in this synagogue. They're away from home. And then Paul, a Jew, comes in and teaches. And then in the next Sabbath, Saturday for them, Sunday for us. The next time they get together, the whole city comes out. Or almost the whole city. Almost the whole city comes to church. Now you're busting at the seams. You can't fit everybody in there. So you've got them outside. You've got them everywhere that you could to put these people in. Now if you were one of the ones who had put this synagogue together, helped raise the funds to build this synagogue, had been there Sabbath after Sabbath with the Jews coming in, not seeing a whole lot of people, but some. And then all of a sudden, the whole city comes out. How many of you, if you were one of the founders of that synagogue, would be filled with joy? Glory to God, look at all these people coming out. This is great. This is wonderful. This is spectacular. The whole city, the people who need God so much, they are all coming out to church. Awesome, awesome. You'd be excited, right? Yeah, but then we come to verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Were these not the same people who were in agreement with Paul the week before? Were they not the same people? who begged Paul to come and to preach another, another week. But when they saw the whole city, they, it does not say they were filled with joy, does it? It says they were filled with envy. Well, how come these people didn't come out when we were teaching? How come they come out when Paul comes in here? They don't even know this guy. He wasn't even here helping to build this place. Where was he when we were raising funds to build this synagogue? Where was he on all those weeks before? When week after week we'd show up here and begin to to teach you all the things of God, even though there weren't that many people. Where was he? You would think they'd be filled with joy, but no, they're filled with envy. Because you can take a good situation that should bring joy, and the devil can make you think wrong things about it, 
And instead of you being filled with joy, you are filled with envy. Well, how come I didn't get that? How come they didn't do it for me? And what was supposed to be helpful, letting you feel joyful. Not just be joyful, but to feel joyful. Now it's produced envy. And you're angry. And instead of coming in, you already have said you agreed with the teaching that Paul was doing. But now you come in and instantly you start contradicting and blaspheming and opposing the things that Paul's teaching. How ridiculous is that? How do you go from one place to the other so quickly? This is what the enemy can do. He can take a situation that should bring joy to you. Because the Word of God tells us that in heaven, when one sinner repents, how many angels rejoice? Over one. How much rejoicing do you think is going on in heaven when all these people come out to, the, to hear the gospel? But what happens to the Jews? They don't share in the rejoicing of heaven. They're filled with envy because the enemy came in here and he put something in. See, they don't recognize the enemy. He comes right in and he puts something on the end, gets you to think about something. Something great happens at work. And what do you think? Well, how come they didn't do that for me? Well, I wonder if I'll get a raise now. And these kind of things begin to come in. They don't need to. Stay filled with joy. Don't let envy pull that away. Remember envy and whenever, wherever envy and strife is, when that kind of stuff comes in, what happens? Confusion. Every evil thing. So they brought envy. That's not going to work out so good. They agreed to this stuff before. Now, the, the gospel that is going to help them, now they disagree with it publicly. Well, if they're going to disagree with it publicly, what are they doing privately? They're going to disagree with it too. Now they're going to fight the very gospel of Jesus Christ on the inside and the outside. They're not going to receive it. It's not going to come in for them. It's not going to help them out. Verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should... For be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were sad. <laughs> no, they were what? They were glad. And glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, if the Jews were upset before, how do you think they responded to this? So the Gentiles were glad, but the Jews got mad. Probably more mad than they were. This is not helping their situation at all. But it should be. They should be feeling joy from this. They're not. They're not feeling the joy. Oh, how many times have situations come for us and they were supposed to help us. They were supposed to bring joy. But instead, envy, like this one, start fight up in the synagogue. Ah, that's not good. Verse, uh, where do we leave off at? 48. Verse 49, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stood up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they're not just content that, no, this isn't right, I'm not going to receive it. No, I'm going to make sure that nobody else receives it too. I'm going to make sure that we get this out of the whole area. So they stirred up, they knew who to get, devout and prominent people. That's who they're going to get. They're going to try and stir them up. If we can stir up the devout and prominent people, the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, they raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them. Now, we don't know exactly what's involved in expelling them from the region. But whatever it was, it was fairly forceful. They didn't just go because they didn't want to be there anymore. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy. Now, how many of you would be filled with joy if you had a situation where you came on in, you taught thousands of people come out to hear the Word of God and the Jewish leaders shut it down? Shut it down. And then you go out and you begin to teach the Gentiles and you work some good things there and then they stir up, same people stir up trouble elsewhere and get you kicked out. 
How many of you are filled with joy? <laughs> probably not. We're probably a little down about that. But the disciples are filled with joy. They came out of there not focusing on the negative things. They came out of there focused on the positive things. Well, look at the good we do. Boy, we must be stirring up the enemy's camp. Look at that. He's got all those prominent Jews out there trying to get rid of us. They stirred up the whole city against us. It took them stirring up the whole city to get us out. But that's all right. We got a whole mess of people born again. We left them back there and they're going to keep that church going. And eventually they're going to come back and visit this church. Let's go on. So they get expelled. They shook off the dust from their feet. Now, I know there have been many places that you want to shake the dust off your feet for. <laughs> but be careful. Don't jump on that too quick. It took, it took a lot to get this going on. Remember the disciples? I said to Jesus, what should we do? Should we shake off the dust to our feet? We'll show them. It's not always time for shaking the dust off your feet. There is a time for it. It's not always that time. Just uh, make sure you be patient. How many times in our life could uh, Jesus have shook off the dust of his feet with us? Thank God he did not. He, uh, he kept us going. Let's go into the next verse. Verse uh, 53. So they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. All right, now this is the pattern for Paul. He goes into a new city. Where does he go? He finds a synagogue. And he goes into the synagogue to teach. What has always been happening to Paul when he goes into the synagogue to teach? People get mad. Eventually, people kick him out of the synagogue. And he has to go elsewhere. If you are Paul, how many of you are saying, you know what, let's just skip the whole synagogue thing. Let's just go find us a theater somewhere and just rent it and we'll just uh, start there. You could, but he, uh, he kept that, the words of Jesus, go to the Jews first and also the Greeks. So he, uh, he went to the Jews first. Always went to the Jews first. And when they rejected it, I got to wonder, you know, we got up to heaven, we can ask Paul, Paul, when you went in there and you're preaching to the Jews, are you just sitting back saying, all right, uh, how long is it going to take? Is it going to take five minutes? Is it going to take an hour? Is it going to take a week? How long is it going to take you folks to reject this? I know you're going to reject it. I know you're going to. I wonder if he ever went in there with that attitude or, or thinking that. I hope not. Probably not, but I know some of us sure could. So he spoke to a great multitude, both the Jews and the, of the Greeks believed. So he's in the synagogue, synagogue of the Jews, and he spoke to this great, great multitude came to hear. I don't know if this was the same thing as the other city, where there was not as many people, but all of a sudden the whole city came on out. But anyway, a great multitude came out, and they wanted to hear what was going on. Not only did they hear, they believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. That's quite a term. The unbelieving Jews uh, poisoned their minds. Poison, that's, a, that's an interesting term. I don't think that the unbelieving Jews see themselves as poisoning anyone's mind. Do they see themselves as God-fearing? Unbelieving Jews, do you, sure they would. Be, that's why they go to synagogue all the time. They see themselves as God-fearing. They see themselves standing up against the things that are, that are for, standing things for God and against the things that are against them. And they somehow came up with this idea that this stuff that Paul's doing is against God. So they stood up against it. The unbelieving Jews, the Jews who did not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Isn't it not amazing how many causes people are not just uh, agreeable to just, well, that's the way I believe. No, they've got to force others into it as well. Not just in the things of, of Christianity. Whatever, whenever you see this, whenever you see a person is not content to keep their restrictions to themselves, but they force it, not share it, force it on other people. Understand it is not from God. God does not force his views on anyone. I've used this example over and over again. I just don't know as many. I know other ones, but this one, more people know about it. You know, it is, if you are a meat eater, you are totally content with sitting next to a vegetarian. <laughs> totally content. Doesn't bother you at all? If they want to eat vegetables, you're fine with that. If you eat meat, if you love meat, you have no problem sitting next to a vegetarian. But, 
Not all, but a lot of vegetarians cannot even sit next to a meat eater. You have to get away from me. I can't even be near that stuff. Why are you eating that? You need to stop eating that. You're killing the planet. And all this sort of stuff. They force it upon you. It's not, they're not content just to have it themselves. You know, I, I, you all know, I like meat. If you want to eat vegetables, great. More meat for me. <laughs> I think it's just absolutely wonderful. I was at a, uh, my mom and I were at a lunch out there this, mo- uh, this, uh, this week, afternoon this week. And we found a place, and I'll tell you what, they cook vegetables really nice. My mom was actually kind of surprised. I had a number of vegetables on my plate. I would have gone back for seconds. They were outstanding. They know how to cook broccoli. Boy, that was good. And uh, some carrots. Yes, sir. I ate broccoli and carrots on my plate voluntarily. It, the vegetables were so good, I was actually disappointed that some of my plate was taken up with pasta. Now, it was good pasta, but it wasn't great pasta. Great pasta will push vegetables off the plate any day of the week. But it was good pasta, but the vegetables were in a category by themselves. They were, they were really good. But how many of y'all know, you know, vegans? I, think, I, don't, I don't know a vegan yet who doesn't feel like they have to uh, proselytize everybody. You must stop eating those things. And uh, that's the way it is. Global warming people feel that anyone who is not global warming must be stamped out. Shut up. The people that don't believe in global warming just think they're stupid and they'll be exposed eventually. At least they should be. But it, uh, it's, it's just... Why, why, why do people have to push this stuff on When you are, you're a Christian, how many of you are content to let someone not be a Christian? I mean, if you, if you don't want to believe, I mean, it, it saddens you. I'm not saying it doesn't sadden you. But you're content. If you do not want to believe, I am not going to put a gun to your head and make you say the prayer of salvation. We're just not going to do it. We don't force people to do that. We don't force people to stop sinning. We encourage people what the Word of God says. That your life would be better if you quit doing these things. But we don't force them. God doesn't want us to force people to believe in Him. But as soon as you see any cause that causes those to be forced into compliance with what they believe, you got a you got a real good clue as to who's behind it. And that's what happens here. Wherever Paul goes, and Paul even talks about this later on, it seems that wherever I go trouble gets stirred up. Why? Because there's a spirit from the enemy that was there to buffet him. And he kept stirring things up. But it says they poisoned their mind. Be careful that your mind doesn't get poisoned. How, do you can, how can you tell if poison has seeped in? Well, if poison gets into our own body, our body has a bad reaction to it. It can turn uh, red. It can turn black and blue. Or it can react in, in certain ways. But, uh, and then pain begins to come from the area that's affected by poison. If it's all through your body, organs begin to shut down. You feel pain, you feel discomfort, you feel nausea. These kind of things come in. You're, you're not feeling right. It's, it's not setting right. Poison has set in. When the enemy has sown poison in us, things in our spirit begin to respond. It, 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 this isn't right. Things aren't going well. We, we need to get rid of something. Something is in us that should not be there. Poison their minds. Don't let people poison your minds. And don't just think that Christians are, are, are immune from this. It's not just non-Christians that are going around poisoning people's minds. Some Christians will do it, just like here. Paul, who are the folks that are poisoning their minds? The Jews. Unbelieving Jews. They're, they're Jews in that they, they're God-fearing as far as the Old Testament, but have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and are not accepting the gospel as such. All right, let's read this again because you've got to read verse 2 and then flow right into verse 3 in order to get this. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they left right away. Don't you think that's how it should read? But because they poisoned the minds of the Jews, they stayed there longer. How many of you would want to get out of that situation as soon as you could? I just want to get away. These folks, they're, they're saying things about me. They're, they're poisoning the minds of those that are around. I just want to get out of here. If that's the way you want to operate, I just, I'm going to leave. Man, can you imagine Paul going up to folks? Who are you? I'm Paul. Oh, 
I've heard about you. And already you can see that they hadn't even heard about from him yet, but they've, I heard about you. And you can see that attitude that's there. Oh, he's mad. He's angry. This is Paul. Our mind's been poisoned. Don't let your mind get poisoned. Stay, stay up with it. So they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So despite the poisoning that was going on, they'd go out there, they'd preach the gospel, and as they preached the gospel, signs and wonders were going on. It confirmed everything that was going on. There was, everything was going on with, from God. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. Now, it didn't say part sided with the Jews and part sided with the Gentiles. It said part sided with the Jews, those that were unbelieving, and part sided with the apostles, those who were believing. The distinction the Word of God makes is those that were unbelieving with those that were believing. That's the distinction. And part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. So on both sides, believers and unbelievers, you have some, some Jews and some Gentiles. But the ones that are on the unbelieving side, a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them. Now the Jews and Gentiles generally don't get along so well in some of these other cities. But they get together on this hey, we can unite together, let's get rid of Paul. And so they come up with some kind of a violent plan to abuse and stone them. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked, never walked. So these, these folks grew up around this guy. They've seen him since he was born, they saw the condition he was in when he was born. And they saw him grow up. People who, who moved into the city saw this guy. They were told the story. He was born this way. Everyone knows about this case. Everybody knows about this person. A certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. How do you get faith to be healed? Through the word. So Paul is preaching the word about Jesus, about the great glorious things he's done, about the things done through the name of Jesus. Probably even gave some stories of some people who got healed. And it's building faith in this man. The same words caused some people to become unbelieving, but in this man it caused him to have faith. And Paul's looking around, he's seeing faith is growing in this man. There is faith in this guy from what he's hearing. He's hearing and he's receiving. He's got some faith. So, he said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. Never had walked in his life, but walked. Not only walked, he leaped. Leaped. And when the Paul and now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. These folks are so excited about what's going on, they're calling them gods and they're ready to sacrifice to them. How many of you all say that these people have received... What they've done is from God. They even see them as messengers from God. Verse 15. Saying, men, why are you doing these things? This is what they were crying out. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and all things that are in, in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium, you remember those places. Now, this is not Antioch where they came from. 
This is not Antioch where the church was and sent them out. This is a different Antioch. Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, we don't know if this is one day, two days, three days, between the time that they wanted to sacrifice and see them as gods to the part to the point that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came in and persuaded them. But people are so fickle that one day, I want to sacrifice to you, I see you as a god. And a couple of days later, even maybe a day later, I'm ready to kill you and throw you outside the city. That's about as fickle as you can get. How many people have ever had fickle people in your lives? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay. They're your friend one day, then they seem to turn against you the other day. That's what they have. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Have you ever been through the stoning process? Or, or, I mean, not, not personally, but gone through, see what it does. It's, it's a, it's, and it's, there's a different, couple of different ways of, of doing it. Some people get buried in the ground up to either their waist or up to their shoulders. And then they throw stones at them until they're dead. Other people are just bound and then their, their th- stones are thrown at them. And of course, whatever stone hits you, it, it's going to hurt. But it just batters their body. And a lot of the stones are thrown at the head until there's no life left in the body anymore. And then they'll continue to throw them even after life is gone from the body just to make sure that they're dead. So they thought he was dead. He went through this process. We're not talking about a stone or two was thrown at him. We're talking about mounds of stones. This is something they dragged him out to a spot in the city or just outside the city, wherever it may have been. They dragged him over there. They set him up in the middle and all the city was around. No one came to help. No one came to stop it. And they threw the stones. They found stones. We're not talking about little tiny stones. We're talking about big stones. And they threw these stones at him one after another, after another, after another. He's bloody. He's bleeding. These are people that he came to the city to help. Some of these people may have even been healed. They were in the meetings. Now they're throwing the stones. They wanted to make sacrifice. Call them a god. Now they're throwing the stones. And they dragged his body out of the city thinking that he was dead. In other words, he gave every appearance that he was dead and may have been completely dead. Dragged him outside. Look at what happens after that. They supposed him to be dead. Verse 20, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. Now, if you have a guy on the ground who's bleeding, you have two, generally two responses. One, if they are alive, you run to their aid, right? You try and do some things to stop the bleeding, whatever. But if you just come up and you stand around them, what are you pretty much assuming? They're dead. Can't really do anything here. So the disciples, uh, they came around, they, they looked, they pretty much assumed he's dead too. So they're all looking at, man, Paul's dead. Paul's dead. And like he said, he very well may have been. And then all of a sudden, Paul gets up. Now, how many have ever read books of people who have gone to heaven, died and gone to heaven? Not just gone to heaven on a vision vision or a visit and come back, but have died on the operating table, whatever it is, died and gone to heaven. And they've gone to heaven and they've been up there and then uh, they, they come back. How many of them tell the story, I didn't want to come back. I wanted to stay. Wanted to stay. So can you imagine this is Paul? If Paul was indeed dead, and I, I am 95% sure Paul is dead in this story. Dead. Because all the people who dragged him out assumed him to be dead and the people who loved him assumed him to be dead and responded in, in like manner. If he's dead, where does he go? Goes to heaven. If he's in heaven, no one is praying for him on this earth to be alive. They did not say the disciples came and gathered around and said, in the name of Jesus. We don't have that. So we don't have anybody on the earth who's praying for him to come back. Paul is not praying for him to come back because Paul is dead, more than likely. He's dead. At least he's unconscious. He's not praying either. But like I said, I think he's dead. He's up in heaven. So he gets up to heaven and he's there and he says, glory to God, it's over. Would you say that if you were Paul? 
Glory to God, it's over. No more cities, no more riots, no more beatings. It is over. And Jesus says, Paul, you've got to go back. No, I don't. I've got, I guarantee you, Paul said something about that. No, I don't, I don't have to go back. I'm good. This is good. He says, Paul, you're not done yet. I need you to go back. Really? Yeah, 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 you've got to go back. All right. So he gets sent back. It's back in his body and just gets up. Gets up. Now, here's some other evidence that I think that's how it, it transpired. Let's go on in the scripture here. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and what? All right. The city that just stoned you, dragged you outside because they thought you were dead. You stand up and you go back in the city. Why? I'm not going to be afraid of nothing. They can't kill me. I already was dead. God told me I had to come back. <laughs> Give it your best shot, guys. I'm ready to go on the other side. Why would you go back into the city after they stoned you and left for dead? Is there something sentimental you have back in the city you want to go back there and get? I mean, if that's the case, take one of the disciples. Hey, on the bedside table. Get that for me. He didn't do that. He goes back into the city. Look at what he does. He rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derby. He goes back into the city and stays overnight. Stays overnight. Means he goes to sleep. Gets up the next day. Let's go on over to some, some other cities. And when he had preached the gospel, well, I didn't fill this out in your outline for you, but the joy of the, of the people here is nothing more than happiness. A lot of times Christians have mistaken joy for happiness. The people are happy because they thought the gods had come down to earth. When somebody came and told them it's not the gods, their happiness left. Happiness is temporary. God is not calling you to happiness. He's calling you to joy. Now, it's hard to have joy and not be happy. God's joy brings along a happiness that's to it. But the world's joy is fleeting. It's here and then it's gone. God's joy is based on his word. Hang on to the joy of God. Here it is in this situation. People, anybody here, people killed, left for dead, stoned you, beat you up? Didn't think so. Paul does that, goes back in the city. His joy isn't bothered. Let's go into the next city and preach the gospel there. How many of you are done preaching the gospel? Come on, we've had less things than this stop us from preaching the gospel. We've had things that were much lesser than this stop us from doing what God told us to do. Stoned and left for dead. I've never been stoned and left for dead. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that might affect my joy. I'm not saying it should. I'm kind of thinking that it might. Won't know until we get there, will we? And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. All right, now each of those cities they had problems in. This is the first city they came to, and all it says was they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... I'm thinking I'm staying there. Anybody else thinking that? I stayed there. I, I preached the gospel. They heard. We made many disciples. And we left. We weren't kicked out. We weren't expelled. We weren't stoned. I mean, that's a good day. Then they returned to where? Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. He returned to the places that had stoned him expelled him, had riots. He returned to those places to encourage the people that were there that were believers. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. How many tribulations? Isn't that a good word? See, we like the word many when it's attributed to things like blessings. Right? Many blessings. That's good. But many tribulations, we don't like that so much. Many persecutions, no, I'm not, not a fan here. We don't like those things as much. We like the many of the good things. Not many on this side. Many rewards. How many like to have that one? That's a good one. Many tribulations. No, we don't like this. But Paul's telling them, hey guys, through many tribulations, we're going to go out there and preach the gospel. We're going to go out there and serve the Lord. Let's go jump on over to Acts chapter 16, verse 19. We're not going to read the whole story here. But this is when 
Paul went into to Philippi after he had the, the Macedonian call. The guy who says, you know, come over here. And so they follow that and they get over there and they get into the city and not a whole lot's going on. They had uh, one lady who got born again. They started a women's prayer group. But not a whole lot of success yet in there. And they had this lady who was a little girl, young girl, who was following them and saying some things about their ministry. These are servants of the Most High God. And Paul, eventually, after a couple of days, turned to her and said, cast out the devil. Come out of her. And so people were not happy about this. In verse 19, we pick it up. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. All right, they did not lead them into the marketplace. They did not carry them into the marketplace. They did not force them to walk into the marketplace. What does it say? They dragged them. Now, I don't know if that means that they grabbed them by their arms, they grabbed them by their feet, they grabbed them by ropes, whatever it was. They were not walking. They were being dragged. Anybody ever been dragged? All right, we're going to give you a little visual here. How many have ever watched the uh, rodeos on TV or seen commercials for rodeos? And a guy is, is uh, on the horse and the horse is bucking and bucking and bucking and bucking trying to get him off. And then he does get him off, but one foot stays in the stirrup or on the, attached to the horse. What happens then? He gets dragged around. And it's not good. We, we cringe when we see that, right? This is, uh, because the horse or the bull, whatever it was he was riding, they're not trying to drag them around pleasantly. They're not trying to, are you okay? Everything working good there? They don't care about that. They're, they're angry. And so now they're dragging them from one place to another. Now it doesn't take long to, uh, to cause problems. When you're, I, I don't think I've told this story in a while, but uh, many, many years ago, in a church league, I used to play softball. And um, I, I enjoyed playing softball. Softball was kind of fun. And we had a, our home course that we had... You know that when you play softball, difference between softball and baseball. Baseball has grass in the infield. Softball has dirt. That's the biggest difference. If you want to take a look at a field, if it's all dirt, it's a softball field. If there's grass in the middle with a dirt outline for the base pass, it's a baseball field. That's how you can tell real easy. This was a softball field. It was all dirt. Well, you want to try and keep the grass from growing on that dirt. And one of the things that they would do to the grass or to the dirt area to keep it loose and to keep it uh, how they wanted to do, was they would put sand on the, the, the dirt area to try and loosen it up. So this was a church league. They didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on sand for the softball field. So this is what we did. This was done before I was there. This is what they did. You know how if you go to the, uh, the big box stores, the Lowe's and places like that, they have a pile of sand and then they have a pile of those black stones that you use to put underneath. Usually if you're blacktopping something, concreting something, you put some of those black stones underneath and then some sand on top. And then you, you put your pavers or your blacktop or whatever. So there's a, there's a place where the pile meets that is both sand and black stones. And so they took that and gave it away. Guess who they gave it away to? Well, our church was one of them and they gave it away to, to us and they took this sand rock mixture and they spread it out over the um, the infield now i'm one of those those guys i just i love to slide i learned from pete rose you know what pete rose is pete rose does not slide feet first pete rose slides head first and so i always anytime i slide i slide head first it just gives you a half a second closer to get in there get your arm in there and get safe so when i hit the ball and i'm running I'm trying to get one base, two bases, or if I'm you know, trying, if you're on first base and you're running around, you're trying to get over the third base, you try and stretch it out, and you try and slide, you drop, and you jump and you slide. You did not have to wonder if you slid on this this uh, this area here, what was going to happen. Your body got ripped up. My uniform got ripped up. I would come out with cuts and gashes so long, and 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 scabs, and uh, my knees were scraped up. My hips 
we're scraped up because that's a lot of times where you, where you hit. Sometimes you'd be stretching out and all up on the inside, you'd get scraped. On the arm, I would be scraped. I was a bloody mess. I had blood all over the place, blood on the uniform, but you, I, was, I was playing hard. I loved it. It was fun. It was fun. Not everybody liked to play that way. I liked to play that way. If Lamar played in my league, Lamar would be bloodier than I am. I was. He would be out there. He'd be... <laughs> Where is the pile of stones I can jump in to get used to this? <laughs> but anyway, I know what it's like when it says you are dragged along that these, these kind of cuts, these kind of abrasions happen. And they're hard to, to get to heal because they're long. They're not little tiny compact things. They're long. They're all over. You don't just put a Band-Aid on it. These things ooze and seep for a long time. They stick to your clothes. It's a problem. This is what he went through. He was dragged through the city we're not talking, I'm talking about a slide which is about three to four feet. He is dragged for many feet. Many, many feet. Probably even a quarter mile, half a mile, dragged through the city with all these kind of stones and things. His body is chopped up. Sometimes we can just read that and you just kind of go, yes, I know what it is like to be dragged. But I did it voluntarily. They're doing it. Out of aggression, we're going to show you, they dragged him along. And your clothes don't stop it. And they didn't stop it for him. He comes up a bloody mess. This is what he went through. That's important to know for this reason. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly troubled our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Their bodies are already ripped up from the dragging. What happens while they're talking with the the blood and the bleeding with their clothes? I can tell you exactly what happens. They become mingled. And taking those clothes off is extraordinarily painful. Jesus had an even greater experience with this after they beat him and they put the purple robe on him. And then they tore it off. It's, it's not a pleasant thing. So they tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, if you tear off a person's clothes, are they going to put them back on again? How many of you show up at the meeting with a spare set of clothes? So get, get the picture of this. He's dragged. His clothes are tore up just from that. His body is tore up. Then they tear what remains of his clothes off of his body and beat him. So he's in some state of being naked in front of the whole, the whole crowd and bleeding and beaten. When they had laid many stripes on them, we didn't even count them, many stripes on them, they drew them into prison or threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You're now in the inner prison. You have no clothes. The inner prison, I don't get a warm feeling, fuzzy feeling about inner prison. And you're already bleeding a lot because you've been beaten quite a bit. How many know your body can be very close to being in shock? And you have no clothes to keep, keep you warm. What happens to people, we watch it on the TV time, all the time, what happens to people when they go in shock? What do they do? cover them up. They get some blankets and they cover them up. They try and keep them warm. It's one of the things that you do. Other things you do as well. He doesn't have that. His feet are in stocks. This is a guy who's been all tore up. Now this is all important for you to know. Not just being gory here with you. It's all important for you to know. He's in the inner prison. He's cut up. He's beat up. He's got, he can't move around because of the, the uh, fastens, uh, the bonds that he's in. And he's in the inner prison. No light. Cold, damp is what I get of that. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That means they weren't doing it quietly. So you can imagine such a horrible event. Being dragged through the city. Stripped of your clothes in public. Beaten. Thrown into the inner prison. In stocks and bonds so that you can't move, still bleeding, might even be bordering on shock. And what is he doing? Hey, Silas, remember that song when we sang the other, the other week in, in church? Let's sing it again. 
I liked that one. That was kind of new to me. You remember how it goes? <laughs> and they go back and forth and they're singing, singing hymns and praising God so that the prisoners heard them. What do you think their joy level is? Joy level is pretty high. What's their happiness level? I can't imagine their happiness level would be too, too great, but the joy level is high. If Paul and Silas can go through all the things we just showed you and their joy level is still high, how much more should our joy level be? Now, their joy level is high. What's coming out of their mouth? Praise and worship. When our joy level begins to get low and the enemy begins to sap that out of our mouth, out of our, out of our life, our mouth no longer is singing praises to God. It's no longer saying good things. We are now saying bad things. We're now saying things against each other. We're now saying things against God. Saying things against His Word. Saying things that reinforce that we are disbelieving something. And that's what the enemy wants. Strip you of your strength and get you to pronounce bad things with your mouth. Don't do it. Don't follow after that. You can live a life that is full of joy. You can, if Paul and Silas, understand, folks, Silas is, is not nearly, as, I don't get the idea, he's, he's been at this as long as Paul has. And they're both in there singing, praising God. Despite all the things that we've been through, and there's still more for him to go through. He's still going to go through some other things. But he's in there singing, making melody, joy. Well, something happened. Something happened here. You've heard this probably preached on by a number of people. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. This is not an earthquake like I am used to. Earthquakes that I'm used to, windows break, doors fall. They get knocked over. Walls come down. That's not what happened here. The walls stayed up. The doors opened. What is preventing a door in a prison from opening? Locks. What is preventing the bonds, the shackles that the prisoners are in from falling off? Locks. That the bonds that are in this prison are held together by locks. Paul is unwillingly bound to these things. And he's unwillingly in this prison. Does not want to be there. But Christians all over, we have been in prisons. We have been in places of bondage. And we do not realize that how we get out of those is simply by following Paul's example. The every, not only Paul and Silas's bonds broke, not only the things that kept them in the prison broke, but everyone around them. And I would have probably assumed that the other people in prison deserved to be there. Paul and Silas did not, but the other prisoners probably did. So we're not looking at righteous people. But when they sang and praised God, their bonds were broken. The doors that kept them inside were opened. And so were everyone else's. By the words of your mouth, you can cause the people around you to be in bondage. And by the words of your mouth, you can cause them to have the opportunity to be freed. Everyone's bonds were broken. That's quite an earthquake. It's not like earthquakes we know about. The walls don't fall down. And apparently, it didn't even wake the jailer. But it opened the gates, it opened the doors, and it opened the bonds. Because they stayed in joy. And they kept praising Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Make sure before you open your mouth, check your joy. Am I filled with joy? Am I filled with joy? Get full of joy. When you're full of joy, open your mouth. How long does it take to get full of joy? It does not take days and weeks. The enemy wants you to think that. How long does it take to lose your joy? How many of you have ever lost your joy instantly? I mean, just like that, it's gone. How the, you were going good, full of joy, and then all of a sudden, something happened. It could be something as simple as driving on down the street in the car with the praise and worship music on, singing and making melody to God. 
and then somebody does something stupid in front of you. And what happens to your joy? It's gone. It's gone. Words that were filled with praise-filled words coming out of your mouth are replaced by others. Not so praise-filled. Other things begin to, to come out of our mouths. Doesn't that have to be cuss words? Hopefully it's not. But, I mean, just for, for, they're not joyful words. You idiot. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> we got to be careful. Stay in joy. Stay, stay in the place of joy. That's what Paul did. He stayed in the place of joy. While the rest of the story went on, the keeper of the prison saw that all the doors were open. The bonds were, were loosed. He thought prisoners escape, especially the two he was supposed to make sure he, he came in, uh, kept in there. He's ready to kill himself. Paul says, no, don't do yourself any harm. We're all still here. We're all still here. I wonder how, how does Paul know that everyone's still there? He's in the inner prison. There's no electric lights. There's no cool flashlights. How does he know? I don't know, but he knew. Everyone's still here. We're all still here. Don't kill yourself. Don't do yourself any harm. So the jailer came to him. He says, come on home. Took care of his wounds. What must, what must we do to get saved? And they began to teach the household there how to get saved. So then the, uh, the rulers found out what was going on. They said, uh, we're going to let them guys go. And then Paul says, no, they're not going to just let us go. They're going to come over here and they're going to escort us. And they're going to take us to the, the people whose houses are uh, of the church that uh, people that got born again. We're gonna, you're going to take us to those places. We're going to put the stamp of approval on by the city leaders onto these people's houses before we leave. And they did that before they left. He said, we are Roman citizens. And that scared them. Because you cannot beat a Roman citizen without a trial. You cannot do any of the things that they did. Dragging them through the city, stripping them naked without a trial. You've got to have a trial first. And they did not have a trial. And they knew that Rome would come down on them because they took a citizen and they did this to them. At any moment, all that Paul would have had to have done was said, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. And they would have stopped. Checked out his story. He never did. Supposition goes. People thought that if Paul took this beating that the opportunity would be there for the church to start and the church to grow. And we have a letter today in our Bibles to the church of Philippi. We have a letter to the churches that were able to get started because Paul took a beating for them. And here Paul took a beating for them and stayed full of joy. Now, what have you gone through in your life? Is anything like what Paul has gone through? I don't think any of us can say that. Paul was pretty unique. He went through quite a bit of stuff. But his joy did not diminish. He kept that going. I told you from last week, first off, change your attitude. Don't be going around being full of sorrow. Sad for yourself, sad for your situation, sad for... Don't, you need to stop it. The Word of God says, do not sorrow, so therefore we can not sorrow. But be joyful. Change your actions. What you do affects how you feel. Do good things. Do positive things. Change your conversations. Have conversations that are uplifting. Don't have conversations that are negative. They're going to pull you down. They're going to pull the people down that are around you. Have good conversations. This is what we went over last week. Change your attitudes. Change your actions. Change your conversations. Your joy only depends on what's in you. That's it. Your joy only depends on what's in you, not what happens around you. It's what's in you. Paul, look what was in Paul. Had to be some good things in Paul to keep him going because that is a tough place to go and still be full of joy. That's a hard thing to do. I look at some of the things that I go through in life and you know, sometimes we look at what we go through in life and we, oh, it is so bad. It is so bad. But it's really not. Other people have been through much worse. Much worse. You can look at your situation and be full of joy. You can look at your situation and be full of sorrow. It's up to you. But be full of joy. 
When you express words, make sure there are words that come from the joy of God that is on the inside of you and not from the other stuff that the enemy wants to put in your life. Don't let him sap the joy from you. Being complete in God means being full of joy. Full of joy. Staying in that place, being full of joy. Don't get into envy. Don't begin thinking that somebody's moving in on your territory. Don't be thinking that somebody's taking something away from you. Don't let that kind of stuff go on. Don't be like the Jews who came up and saw the great multitude. Well, why didn't they come out when we were here? Why didn't they come out last week? The week before that? Last month? How come they didn't come out before? Why is it now that they come out? Don't be doing that. That'll mess with your joys. It'll get you to a place where they got to. That was not a good spot. No, stay with it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is your strength. It will help you overcome every single thing that you face. And nothing will get you down. If you do the things that you need to do to stay full of joy. Would you all stand up? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, you have put us in a place that we can be full of joy. We do not have to be filled with sorrow. We can be full of joy. Our conversation can be one that comes from a life filled with joy instead of a life filled with sorrow, a life filled with sadness. Father, our conversations need to be purified, and we can do it. We need to say things that uplift those that are around us and not tear down. We need to do things that are good, that are beneficial, and not things that hurt Father, you can make us into a better Christian than we are now. As long as we listen to you and we heed the things that you say, good things will happen. Father, we want our joy to be full every day of the week. And when we see that our joy is not full, we need to immediately do the things that are necessary to get that joy full again. Because if we speak words constantly out of joy, we have actions that are constantly out of joy. We have thoughts and conversations that are constantly out of joy. Our life will change. The people that don't want to hang around us will want to hang around us. The people that have been torn down will be feel built up. We will change the course of our life and even the course of many of those that are around us because of the joy that is in us. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, we have a few praise reports. Hurrah, can I get you to read these for me? And where is our little portable microphone? Oh, super. Thank you. There you are. Daryl says, God protected us from a collision with another car this week and then brought us across a path of someone that we were able to talk about God to within 10 minutes from each other. Praise God. An opportunity to witness for the gospel. Daryl says again, I was able to share about end times with my customer this week. Uh Another opportunity to witness for the Lord. Praise God. Alyssa says, I was in the Center City, Philly, Friday night for a wedding rehearsal. I found a parking space right in front of the church. The rehearsal went smoothly, but as I came out, I saw my car now attached to a tow truck. Hmm. Trying not to panic, I calmly asked the driver what I should do. After making sure I had No outstanding tickets. He took my car down, and I didn't get stranded, and I and I and have to pay crazy crazy amounts probably. Oh, impound. Crazy impound fees. Instead, I only have a seventy dollar parking ticket. Hmm. Praise the Lord. The Bacons are thanking God. They say this month. Following the principles we've been learning in the financial class, we have paid off our largest and smallest debt and are almost consumer debt free. Yeah. Amen. What do we got? Those ones are for me, huh? All right. Thank you.
All right, we're going to stand up again. Kenny and Bobby are not here. Uh, she said, Kenny said that uh, she has a migraine and Bobby, uh, his sugar was dropping. Uh, Susan, please agree with me that the dentist appointment for broken tooth will go well. You have that coming up this week? All right. When is it? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Ah, that's something to look forward to, isn't it? Count it all joy. <laughs> Yeah, we'll stay joyful. All right, we'll be praying for, for those. Um, I know some of you knew that Dietra's mom was uh, going in for surgery on Tuesday. Um, I did uh, leave them a message to find out what happened, but no, did not get any word back as to what happened with that. So I don't know if any of you wanted to know what happened with her mom on Tuesday for her surgery. We uh, don't know what is going on with that yet. So uh, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for a good day. We thank you for a good week that's ahead for us. I thank you, Father, for the blessings that you have put in our life. Help us to not lose sight of the blessing because of the things the enemy wants us to begin to think of. Help us not to lose sight of the good folks that are around us and how we can help them with the joy that is in us being shared. Let our words, Father, be filled with joy, be spoken from the joy that is in us. And we thank you for it. Father, I thank you for the ministry that you do with the faith that's in Bobby and Candy and facing the things that they face, that theirs is the victory. Thank you, Father, that Susan, that this appointment with the dentist will go well and this tooth will be fixed and repaired and give her all the service that she still needs from it. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, 1 o'clock uh, this, this afternoon, if you want to come back for that, we have the Financial Peace Seminar going on. Next Sunday we have both, so at 1 o'clock we'll have the end times, 2 o'clock we'll have the financial piece uh, that'll be going on. Um, the, just looking ahead for some things, the first Friday in November, it'll be the Friday before the election, we're going to have a prayer and praise night. That week we will not have Wednesday night service. If we'll also have Monday, we'll have the Hallelujah night. So we'll have two nights of fellowship, uh, Monday and Friday night that week, but not on Wednesday. So that's coming up, not this week, but the week after, after that. Uh, Hallelujah Night is going to be going on a week from tomorrow, from 7 to 9. If you have not been to that, even if you haven't got the kids, feel free to come on out. We have plenty of fellowship for the adults as well. And it's just a night to get together, get away from the house and away from all the the stuff coming on in the house. If you want to get away from there, that's going to be there. So we'll have more details for you for that next uh, next Sunday. But it's up there in Chalfont. That's only about seven miles away from here from the from the church. Have a great rest of the week. Some of you folks will be sticking around.